Welcome to Convention Pulpit Teen Edition, brought to you through the ministry of Time of Discovery, a division of Interchurch Holiness Convention. Subscribe to this podcast or visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and for more information on this ministry at www.ihconvention.com. Today's speaker has been a successful pastor and successful conference leader. But perhaps what defines him best is his passion for people. I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful message by Reverend Jacob Martin. Thank you. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 1. How you doing, guys? You got one more, you got one more out there, don't you? Can you help me out here? here let's see. Can you, get, you guys know each other? You know each other? Okay, I'm okay. There's three of you there now. I thought I was getting by cheaper. Okay, one of you come and collect for all three of you. Okay, $10 each, sitting in the hot seats. Give them a hand. Ever since the Lord saved me, I went from being an observer to a participant. I observed church a lot before I was saved. Once I got saved, for the rest of the time, I've been a participant, and I've been to yet this very day, trying to just give my all to the Lord in every worship service. Every time I go to church, try to pray, try to worship our God, because He is worthy to be worshipped. No matter how I'm feeling, our God is worthy of praise. And so I'm right along those lines, so thank you for being here. Thank you for moving up quickly, and appreciate all that in this service today. Thank you for allowing me to be here, those in charge. Thank you. I want to share on this subject today. Today, with the Lord's help, be committed. Be committed. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, standing together for the reading of God's word and word of prayer. Then we'll try to share God's word with you this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be together. We thank you for working in each one of the hearts that are here. Lord, we're just thankful that each one that is here, that you have been so faithful to time and time again, to speak to us, to draw us to yourself. We thank you, Lord, for preachers and teachers and others that have tried to influence us towards you and the way of the cross and the way of salvation and ultimately the way to heaven. Lord, we thank you for all the investment of time and money and energy that have brought us together even to this day. And Father, we pray that you will bless in a special way this message to the hearts of these young people, strengthen them, encourage them to continue to serve you, O oh God. And then if there be some that don't know you today, help them to soon, Lord, even in this convention, even this week, Lord, to stop, ponder their paths, and to seek you and to find you. For you said that when we seek you with our whole heart, you would be found. And we thank you for your promises that are true. Bless now, we pray this message to the, these hearers, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This verse came to my mind to share with you today. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. 
The apostle had to get victory over repeating himself. Why should the apostle Paul have to almost like apologize? Because he had taught some truths over and over and over again. Because the truth is, there's lots of things in the Bible that's repeated over again. So the preacher, the teacher, God's people have to go ahead and share some of them same truths again. So he got victory over repeating himself. I hate to tell you this. One of the reasons that God has to do that is because we're often slow learners. I hate to say it. I like to say that we're all sharp. We get it every time the first time. But the reality is sometimes we're slow learners. And sometimes it's not even that. We get our eyes focused when we get saved that we want to do big things for God. And while we want to do big things for God, we forget there's a lot of just little common normal things to do for God. Paul said it's a safe message, a method. It works to repeat over and over again. You're in school, some of you, some of you are out, but some of you know what it is to come through the process. One plus one equals what? One plus two equals what? One plus four equals what? Five times five is what? <laughs> five times ten is this is a pretty bright class. How many of you memorized those things the first time you went over them? Repetition works, doesn't it? So God knows that method works. It's a safe method. That's why God has given us preachers and teachers and God's people to help us. The great legendary coach Vince Lombardi of the Green Bay Packers, he used to hold up a, a football at the beginning of every football season, and he would say this, This is a football! <laughs> we know it's a football. We're professional football players. We played college and high school and peewee football. We know it's a football. Let's play football. This, this comes from a guy that was Super Bowl champs. <laughs> what a lot of championships to coach. This is a football. He knew that no matter where you got along the stage in football, the very first practice means you have to do the same things over again if you was going to be good that year. You can never forget the beginning things. I'm going to hold it to you this morning, this afternoon, God's Word, the inspired Word of God. Its principles, its promises are true. Let it help you and to me to navigate through life, and if we do, we'll be successful in the end. I want to remind you with the help of the Lord this afternoon of five basic principles that we need to be committed to if we're going to navigate this life successfully. First, we are to be committed, be committed, and then stay committed. It's one thing to be committed, it's another thing to stay committed. And young people here today, God wants us, you, me, to be and to stay committed. When I first started playing uh, Little League Baseball, which I did many years, my coach gave me some tremendous advice on how to be a good player. Those words that he spoke to me, that very beginning of me playing Little League Baseball forever helped me to become and to be a good player. He spoke these words just to the little guy. Know what you're going to do with the ball, 
Before it's hit, know what you're going to do with the ball. If it's hit to you, know what you're going to do before you do it. Every time. Okay. Oh my, what am I going to do? Have you ever seen body, somebody plays baseball, softball, and they don't know what they're going to do with the ball because they wait until it's hit to them, then they decide. It's a lot easier to play the game when you think about the ball's hit to me, I know what I'm going to do with it. There's one out, there's two outs, it all matters, doesn't it? Now, I learned a few things uh, from the coaches I continued to play that helped me, and it's really fun. I'm a little bit hyper once in a while, or all the time, and some people aren't, but I, I noticed as we would sort through this congregation, there would be a few of you, if I was playing baseball with, that I would keep in mind and keep an eye on. I like the excitable ones, the, the hyper ones, the ones that really know what they're doing, you know? And let's say there's one out, they're, they're on second base, you see them jumping around a little bit, you know, they're excited, they got a double. There's only one out, and they want to do what? They want to go home, third and home, and score a run for their team, don't they? I do. That's the kind of guy I'm looking for, there's one out. I'm playing shortstop, played it many a times. He hits me a one hopper, only one out, so that means most of the time, let's throw the first and get the out. But I don't. I fake it the first, put it in my glove, and I tag out Mr. Hyper that runs over to me. Oh, I've done it many times. Most of the time, he thinks I'm throwing the first, but I know by after playing for a while, some people, I know I can get them on this play. And I've done it many a times. Know what you're going to do. Your family, preachers, teachers have given you some good advice in life. If we pay attention to it, it'll help us the rest of our life. Let's look at a few things. Be committed to salvation. Be committed to salvation. Let's assume that the average person dies at 70. If you're 20, you have 2,500 weekends to live. If you're 30, you have 2,000 weekends to live. 40, 1,500 weekends to live. 50, 1,000 weekends to live. I'm 52. So this matters to me. If you turn 60, you only have about 500 weekends left before you face God. As a Christian, that ought to concern us. What am I doing with my life? Can you imagine seeing a group of firefighters? They're at a burning building and they're polishing their fire truck. There's people inside that flaming, burning building, the firemen polishing their truck. Something's wrong with that picture. The firemen ought to be inside rescuing the people that are perishing or will perish. Dr. Brill Bright says only about 2% of Christians witness on a regular basis to others. One of these days, the lights are going to go out. They're already dimming. Jesus said to work for the night cometh that no man can work. Sooner or later, Jesus is going to come again. Two will be a bed. One's going to be taking the other left. Two grinding in a mill or two working together. One taking the other left. The second coming is going to take place. Life is going to cease to be like it is. And whether we're young or whether we're old, God wants us to be a witness for him. Part of those that are rescuing the perishing. He saved us. He saved us. A balloon salesman... Uh, Filled a white balloon and let it go. Little white boy watching. Little black boy was there and he saw him grab a black balloon and he filled it and it went up in the air. And he got a little, got a little, you know, red one and it went up in the air and 
there was a little Chinese boy there, and he said, Mister, he said, could you, you fly a yellow balloon? He said, sure. And he filled that up. But then he said to the little lad, he said, son, it's not the collar of the balloon that matters. It's what's inside the balloon. And whether we'll be a witness or not depends not on the collar of the balloon or the collar of our face, but what's inside of us or whom is inside of us. And I want Acts 1.8 to always be reality in all of our lives. God wants you and me to be witnesses. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Young people were counting on you to be committed and stay committed to the message of salvation with our lips and with our lives for God. Young people, be committed to sanctification. Initial sanctification. When we get saved, we're initially sanctified, set apart to God. We need to be committed to entire sanctification and progressive sanctification. Entire sanctification. Sooner or later, all of us, after we get saved, face Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, Christians, not sinners, Christians, by the mercy of God that we present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. I like those words at the end, reasonable service. It shouldn't be an unreasonable thing for God that saved us to ask us to give him everything. So sooner or later, after we're saved, and whether it's now or 10 years from now or 30 years from now, God's going to continue to go for all of us. The sooner the better that we make a complete consecration to God Almighty of our whole being. 1 Thessalonians 5, and 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you holy, faithful as he that calleth you, who will also do it. And those are the words of our great God. Faithful. God doesn't mock us. God doesn't play games with us. He calls us to meet the need of our heart. And then Hebrews 12, 14 becomes progressive sanctification. Follow peace and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. There's a whole holy path to leave after we're initially sanctified, entirely sanctified, progressively continue to walk in godliness and righteousness the rest of the days of our life by the help of God. Can you imagine a bride today? Any of you picture this, you're the, you're the guy up front, and now the lady's coming down the aisle. There she comes down the aisle. You see her? You see her? You're up front. I'm the preacher. I'm standing here. Oh, can you hear her? Can you see her? No, I don't want to do this. No, no, no. I want to have at least three boyfriends this year. At least only three. <laughs> what, what should my advice be to this guy standing here? You, 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 you think they're ready for marriage? But how many people treat God like that? We want another lover. We don't want another friend. We want another thing. No. When we make this entire consecration, friends, it's everything. It's everything. No more lovers. No more other things. God's serious about this, and we're serious about it. And we get to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. God's plan is to deal with us until we 
Our whole being is aligned to his will and to his ways so we can love him with all of our hearts. Thank you, young people, for being committed to salvation. Thank you for being committed to sanctification. Third, be committed to separation, the doctrine of separation. Second Corinthians, New Testament says, chapter 6, verse 17, 18, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What a privilege to enter into a relationship with God the Father. Isn't that wonderful? To enter a relationship with God. He said, separate yourselves. You did that. We confessed our sins. We forsook our sins. We said no to the sins in our life and yes to Christ. And while we were confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, he forgave us. Because he said he would. And he did. Thank God for it. The truth is, the word separate, separation, sever, words of that nature are used around 96 times in the scriptures, Old and New Testament, which means that God is serious about the subject, isn't he? Because he's repeated it over and over again through illustrations of life, through scriptures themselves, through the priests, and through all different kinds of things. He taught us that he wanted a people that was separated to him in this present world. In the Old Testament, God wanted to separate a people, so he gave them commands in the areas of diet. Anybody ever read the Old Testament? If not, do it. Because you're going to understand the Bible better as you understand it. And someday you need to work yourself through the Bible. All Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable in different degrees as we read it and we study it. But the truth is you learn lessons in the Old Testament that teaches about what God thinks and God feels and what God wants. In the Old Testament, he gave them different dietary laws. He gave them ways to dress. He gave them duties to do. And as you read the Bible, you're going to find out that some people followed him in all of those areas. And they served God and walked with God and did what he wanted to. Thank God for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that did not defile themselves with the diet rules. They would have been people living in the New Testament. They would have bowed their knees. Said, no big deal. Rationalized it away. Not really important. I mean, it's only a diet. And we're the only ones keeping this diet. But it was God that inspired them in his word for his people to keep that diet. You see where it comes into the play in one of their dietary rules. Can you picture it? What did God say? Uh, is it okay to eat catfish if you're a Jew? Anybody know the answer to that? What? No eels either. No catfish. How about bluegills? Can you eat bluegills in the Old Testament? Yes. Can you eat bass? Yeah. Perch? Yeah. Walleye? Yeah. I'm a fisherman, okay? I know. <laughs> Has anybody ever filleted? You know what fillet is? It's a better way to just get meat with no bones. Some people, you eat their fish. Man, oh man. Whew, this is a bone pile in here. <laughs> Thank you for this wonderful fish. You know what I mean? Uh, I like it filleted. You know, wow, no bones in it. Yeah. So I'm a fisherman, so I know, I know this. There's not a whole lot of difference between catfish meat 
and other kinds of fish when you look at the meat. Maybe if you're a real close fisherman, you can tell a little difference, but I'm saying for the normal person looking, it doesn't look that much difference. God, what's the big deal? What's the big deal, God? I'm telling you, we need this principle because we're living in a day, and this is what's happening all among our world today in the church world. Church world. We're rationalizing things away. God, that's really not that important I keep that because my neighbors need to hear the gospel. My neighbors need to hear truth. So I'm going to go ahead and eat that catfish with them. Whoa. Whoa. Lord, I'm going to start dressing like them, Zephaniah 1.8. Them dress rules really aren't that important, Zephaniah 1.8. Read it sometime. God said he was sending judgment on their princesses and people because they were wearing strange apparel, judgment. Why? Because his people, he had a way for them to dress in the Old Testament. And they started changing it so they'd fit in with the other people. You know, they don't want to offend them. They want, to, they want them to accept them. And some of them did. Here's the story in the Old Testament, if you'll read it. You'll see some people that begged God all the way through on all the areas. Thank God for them. God's always had a people. Let's be one of them. You know what I mean? And then you had some people that uh, totally abandoned God, period. They even started worshiping other gods. They burnt their own children on idols and offered their children as sacrifices to strange gods. That's horrible. All the way from knowing God, because it doesn't matter, breaking all their vows of separation. Now they had no God even. But then some of them, you read the Old Testament, some of them stay religious. They keep up with a profession of faith. But God wasn't pleased with their lives. Even though they were religious and some people couldn't discern it. How are we going to discern between the two? The only way I know is this book. And this book said in the Old Testament, the ones eating catfishes, catfish was off limit. Wow. Think about it. Let's put it to the New Testament. In the New Testament, God wanted to separate the people. So he gave commands in diet. He says we're to do moderation. It says there's to be no drunkenness. It says no drunkard shall inherit the kingdom of God. Right? God's pretty serious about drunkenness, isn't he? It'll keep us out of heaven if we're practicing it. He goes ahead and talks about dress. He talks about duties. Too many today, they want to fit into our culture and their dress. But Peter and Paul both look their culture in the eye. And he says these words... Women are dressed in modest apparel. If we're going to be a true Christian, that's what it says. We'll have to study God's word, pray to God, God, what's all this mean? But if we're going to be a Christian, we got to take God's word serious. He wants us to be modest. Not with braided hair, what'd that mean? Look in any commentary, it'll tell you. It's not braided hair, it's kind of like braided hair, but it has gold wrapped in it, jewelry wrapped in it. Both Peter and Paul looked their culture in the face and said, you can't wear that. We're part of the Christian church. God wants a separated people. They're to be modest. They're not being wearing broided hair. He said they're not to wear gold. They're not to wear pearls. Now, we can argue with all that, but that's just what it says. And we can be like some in the Old Testament and rationalize things away. Because you can do that if you want to. I was down in, let me share this story with you. I was down taking a few classes at Myerstown Seminary. I started on the educational thing on the bottom of the bracket. First time I preached, I said the word eight, 26 times. <laughs> Isn't that good? In 15 minutes, that's pretty good. 
We had, a, we had an elementary school teacher in my church. That didn't go well. She told me after church I did it 26 times. I said, I'll try for 27. And then I found out that she was serious. Be nice to elementary teachers. Wow. So I went to Penview. Lord called me to go to Bible school. I did. I passed. I had a B average. And I thought, well, I think I'd go down to the Myerstown Seminary, see if I could take something on that level, see if I could pass it, you know. I ended up with a B plus, so I was pretty proud of myself. You know, I made it through. So anyway, I was down there taking a class, and they're of a different persuasion of us, or some background the same, but I, uh, I wanted to be good. You know that, I mean, I'm on someone else's turf, not cause any trouble, be good, but it's a school, so you're allowed to ask questions. And I was sitting in this class, and the teacher made this comment. He said, God will not tell you to do anything in his word unless you can see that there's, like, bad consequences to its, you know, doing it. Like, if you kill somebody, can you see anything bad about that after that? If somebody steals from you, isn't that bad? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Real bad. That makes sense. But all of a sudden, I thought of something, and I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I felt like I ought to raise my hand. Oh, no, here goes Martin. I can know it's going to disrupt things. Here it goes. <laughs> As I raised my hand. Wow, isn't that exciting? Because I'm the only one that, you know, <laughs> believes several things. But that's okay. Because, you know, I'm going to ask the teacher a question. He's made a comment. Have you ever asked the teacher a question? <laughs> I've been a teacher. I know they ask questions. <laughs> so anyway, wow, this is fun. So I raised my hand. And I wasn't cocky, I wasn't a smart aleck, I checked my motive. Those are all good things. And I still felt like I needed to. So I asked him this simple question. I said, I have a question about what you just said. I said, how does that fit into the story of Adam and Eve? What was so wrong with the fruit? Was it evil? Was it real bad? He didn't have an answer. It didn't fit what he first said. There was only thing wrong, one thing wrong with that fruit. Do you know what it was? God said no. He is our creator. He can say yes and no to anything that he wants to. We're not smarter than God. We're not wiser than God. We live in a very intellectual day that's having a hard time with God's books sometimes. And hard day in our religious areas. More doctor's degree, more educated men. I'm not knocking that. I thank God for my educated friends. I thank God for all educated people. But the truth is, when you get smarter than the Bible, and you can't take what it simplistic says, and you have to rationalize it away, its precepts and principles and its promises, that's the wrong route to take. God, the creator that made us, knows his word. And he gives us the illustration at the very beginning that God, the creator, our redeemer and savior, can call the shots, call the rules, because he knows best. And it doesn't surprise me at all if there's one or two things, at least in this book, the Bible, that Jacob Martin, as I study it, that I'm not going to understand completely, because if I understand the Bible, this is a walk of faith. In an almighty God that cannot lie and is true. And I can trust him when I don't understand. And I can commit my mind and my intellect to the one that does all things well. Thank you, young people, for standing by God's word in the area of separation. 
be committed to the Sabbath. All the early church fathers were committed to the Christian Sabbath on Sunday, the Lord's Day. Here's a few quotes. Ignatius, let everyone who loves Christ keep holy the Lord's Day, the Queen of Days, the Resurrection Day, the highest of all days. Arena said this, on the Lord's Day, every one of us who are Christians keep the Sabbath. Tautarian, the Lord's Day is the holy day of the Christian church. God's word teaches basically three principles on the Sabbath. Don't work, rest. Obviously, deeds of mercy are allowed to be done. A cow needs to be built. We know these things. But some people go way beyond that, don't they? It's a day of worship. It's a day of Christian service. Jesus practiced keeping the Sabbath, didn't he? Isaiah 58, 13 and 14, he practiced. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy own pleasures on my holy day, and call the Sabbath to the delight, a holy of the Lord, and honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thy own pleasures, nor speaking my own words, then shall thou delight thyself in the Lord. Young people, you will need the Sabbath. For your physical, emotional, and spiritual needs, keep it holy, and you'll be blessed. Amen? Keep it holy. You'll be blessed. Refresh. Thank the Lord for the Lord's day. Thank the Lord for the resurrected day. Thank the Lord for a day we can go in the house of the Lord. Sometimes we can't read the Bible as much. We can't pray as much. But thank God for a house of the Lord we go to every week. And get refreshed and re-challenged. Praying with the people of God. Encouraged by the people of God. And we are blessed when we honor his day. Lastly, be committed to to service, to service. God gave you gifts and talents to use for him. In school, I would always say this. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always be what you've always been. You always do what you've always done. You always be what you've always been. You know, God's work gets done by ordinary people, doesn't it? We make mistakes, we stumble on our words, but that's okay because God's just wanting to use you and me for his glory, for his honor. Thank God for it. I went to pastor my first church. Those years ago, I was a sophomore in uh, college, and uh, it's January 5th I started, and, and then through that winter time, and now it's starting to break spring, and God started to speak to me that he wanted me to knock on doors. We had 10 or 12 people. Felt like, man, we needed to knock on doors, invite people to church. This was coming to me. I'd never done that before. Seemed kind of scary to me. Seemed kind of like, you know, whoa, stuff. I was talking to Rhoda. We were having SP. That means special privilege, you know, a dating time. And we were having one of those things at Penview there around the dining hall. And, and she looks to me as I was telling her about how I was feeling. And she looked at me and said, God, is it going to help you to do that till you go do it? I thought easier for her to say she's not going. You know what I'm saying? It's always good advice for those sitting on the sideline. The Lord to help you. Well, yeah. Wow. But it was good advice, wasn't it? Boy, and it's been key advice the rest of my life. I found out over and over again that is true. I went down to the little church, went to praying around the altar. I kept praying and praying. And for the first time ever, I heard God say, quit praying. That was strange language to me. That come to that little brain right there. Quit praying. I mean, I was praying for the Lord's help, him to help me to do it. And it come to me, quit praying and go. Ooh. 
Yeah, go. I got up from that altar. I walked down that little short aisle at the church, went outside, shut the door, threw up my hands, and I said, God, here goes nothing. And I left and walked down the street. I knocked on that first door, (laughs) and nobody was home, and I was so glad. I knocked on the second door, nobody was home. I was still swinging a hundred. I knocked on the third door, and somebody was home. Then I found out that Rhoda was right, that God helped me to do what he asked me to do. Now, over 30 years, I've been knocking on doors, inviting people to church, passing out flyers, seeing numbers and numbers of people come to church. And the numbers of people come to know Jesus because just that little effort of giving them an invitation I thought, I'm sure glad I went beyond what I thought I could do and trusted him by faith to help me to do what he called me to do. Young people, God is calling you to Christian service. So some of you, you'll be more at a prayer station. Some of you, you'll be more in some nursing homes. Some of you, you'll be knocking on doors. Some of you, uh, God's going to call to use your gift of hospitality. You're a good cook. You can make, it's comfortable for people to be around you. You'll make meals and allow them to come to your home and be their friend and be a blessing. Then the gift of helps in the word of God. And 1 Corinthians talks about it. Some of you have skills that you're going to end up going to some mission fields to be a blessing. Short-term missions. You'll use those talents. People in your communities, other local churches right here in the States that needs your abilities and talents. You want to volunteer and go be a blessing down there using those gifts of helps for the glory of God. And all of us, God wants to use in a special way. I remember going to New York City. We took a, a team up there for prayer station and witnessed it. And, and we took a girl from our bus route. She's a teenager, a young teenager. Scared to death, bashful, backward. And she started doing that. It's hard, but publicly for God. That's why it's a blessing. I'm on God's side. Boy, that's a blessing. And you know what happened? She called me over. She said, Pastor Martin, this feels so, I feel so good. And this is so fulfilling. Friends, God's going to call some of you to be preachers. And some of you to be missionaries. And some of you to be in Christian day schools and work in Christian schools. But many of you, he will not. But you will never be fulfilled unless you find a place of Christian service in your local church. The only way to find fulfillment is to be about doing the master's business. And as we do that Christian service, not on anybody else's level, but the level that God calls you to, God will bless your life. In conclusion, a little poem, a little picture rather. I quit. There's a picture that shows a discouraged football player. He's strong in limb, he's athletic in frame, but he's despondent. His face is full of despair. Underneath are the words, I quit. But in the right hand corner, there's another picture, a picture of the cross and the Christ there. And underneath are the little words, I didn't. I didn't. Young people, the conclusion of this message, Christ was committed to us. Let us be committed to him. Thank you. 
for your commitments to Jesus Christ. And if God calls you in any way, shape, or form to the mission field, go willingly. Calls you to be a pastor, go willingly. But whatever you do, find your place in the body of Christ and be a blessing. It's the best way to live. God bless you. Brother Matt, I'll just turn it over to you. I want me to go ahead and stand. Stand. Let me have a word of prayer for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great group of young people. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit Teen Edition, brought to you through the Ministry of Time of Discovery, a division of Interchurch Holiness Convention. For more sermons or for more information, subscribe to this monthly podcast or visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, 18931 Route 522, Beaver Springs, Pennsylvania, 17812.